how would you describe your parenting style? My parenting style would be compassionate first for myself because we all make mistakes and there is no perfect. It would be super playful and silly and fun because I know that gets the best out of my kids and I would say it's deeply empathetic to how hard it is being a kid. Today on Feed Play Love, one mum's discovery of a parenting style and how it changed everything. Feed Play Love with Siobhan Hunt. It's become quite popular to label parents as having certain kinds of parenting styles. Helicopter, free range, tiger parent, lawn mower. Mostly these labels are unhelpful. But I think my next guest identifies with a parenting style that actually could be really helpful, not just for her kids and herself, but for other parents too. Lael Stone is a parenting educator who adheres to aware parenting, a style of parenting she discovered with, I believe, her third child that then went on to change her world. Hi, Lael. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm hoping I didn't make too many assumptions in that introduction there. <laughs> no, it's true. It is actually true. It's it's I, I feel like discovering where parenting changed my life in so in so many ways, not just as a parent, but in many, many other other ways as well. Oh, that's exciting. Um, so how going back a bit, how would you describe the way you parented before you discovered aware parenting? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question. So I think for me, like many parents, we, we have a baby and then we have an idea of who we think we want to be. So in my mind, I was going to be a really calm, playful parent. I was going to be more of an attachment style parent. So wear my babies and breastfeed them for ages and sleep next to them and all that stuff, which I kind of did do. But I was not prepared for the challenges, I think, of parenthood, of big feelings and emotions, of my kids not cooperating. I think I was in this fantasy land that, it, you know, I'll just, I'll play it all out like this and it'll be wonderful. And of course, parenting is not like that. So I think I was attached and attuned to my kids, but I did not know how to deal with the big tricky stuff. So I was probably a very permissive parent. I had a bit of a strong belief system that said, if my kids were happy all the time, then I was doing a good job. So I thought that what I had to do is keep them happy all the time. And anybody who does that knows how how exhausting it is and actually <laughs> it's impossible. You can't keep kids happy all the time. So there was this big part of me thinking I'm failing because my kids weren't happy all the time. There was a part of me trying to keep them um, entertained, happy, all this stuff, and it was exhausting. And also I was not meeting any of my needs at all. So I would say probably the first seven or eight years of parenting were hard, were really, really hard, and I had a love-hate relationship with it. Like I adored and loved my kids, but there was a, a big part of me that was really resentful of parenting. And really as I look back now and realise it was so totally because I wasn't getting my own needs and I actually just didn't know how to meet my kids in these deeper ways. What is aware parenting? Mm, yeah. So aware parenting was developed by a Swiss-American psychologist, Dr. Aletha Salter, and it's her body of work that was probably she, I think she wrote her first book, The Aware Baby, maybe about 30 years ago. And it is very closely connected to something like attachment parenting. So it's being really attuned to your children. So, you know, having them close to you when they're babies, meeting their needs, you know, breastfeeding, wearing them, sleeping next to them, all those kind of beautiful 
attachment style parenting techniques. It also really focuses on non-punitive discipline. So it's not about using punishments and rewards to get our kids to do things. And whenever I often say that to a group of parents, they're like, yeah, well, what else do you do? <laughs> if you can't do that, what do you do? I'm going, well, I've got some other ideas. And the third element, which I think really is what drew me in, is Aletha Salter's or Aware Parenting's work is really around helping our children heal from stress and trauma. And I guess the way I came to it was because I'd had some pretty traumatic experiences with my third child when she was a baby. How did you discover it then? So it was your third child that triggered this something, yes, saying yes. something's not right. Were you yeah. looking for an answer? Did you stumble across it in the street? Uh, so I had a really challenging birth experience with my third baby. Um, we had, without going to the big long story, we had a bit of a life death situation go on. Um, she was born, and you know it was a, she was a undiagnosed footling breach. We ended up in a cesarean. I had a very bad reaction to um, to the drugs, and so I I was not well. And then she crashed, and she was being resuscitated for close to about ten minutes. And wow. they, they told us that she probably wouldn't survive the birth. So she spent the first four days of her life in a coma. Um, you know, when they finally started to, you know, wean her off some of this stuff, they they really did say, we don't think she'll live. And if she does, she'll probably have severe brain damage. So we had a pretty grim prognosis of what, what we're looking at um, for our third baby. But to whatever miracle happened or her fighting spirit or whatever, she came through that ordeal um, unscathed, much to all the doctors' incredible surprise. They're like, we've never seen a baby recover like this so when I finally got to take her home a few weeks later and and I'd worked in birth for a long time so I had a really good understanding about the impact of trauma and birth and I remember looking at her thinking she looked like a stressed baby she was fidgeting all the time her body was rigid she was not like how I saw my other two babies and I thought there's a whole lot of trauma here and I don't know how to help her move it and I also had trauma too and I was like how do I help myself and uh, I think I was talking to my midwife at the time and she said, oh, there's a book um, called The Aware Baby, maybe maybe have a read of that. And as soon as I picked up the book and read it, I just was like, oh, my God, this is what I've been looking for as a parent, not just for how I was going to help my beautiful little bubba heal from this experience, but also how to meet my kids' big feelings and emotions. So before I guess I discovered Aware Parenting, whenever my kids were upset, I just tried to distract them. I tried to make things happy all the time. I never really had any boundaries or limits. And, of course, my kids kept pushing up against that. So there was a lot of fighting. There was yelling going on in our home. It didn't feel good at all. And then when I discovered Aware Parenting and, and particularly the book The Aware Baby, not only did it talk about how babies and little ones and all children have stresses and traumas and how being able to be present and deeply listen to them when they're crying and holding them in your arms and listening is an amazing way to help our little ones heal from stress and trauma. And so once I read that book, I what I started doing each day is, you know, when my baby had, I was always making sure her needs were met so she'd been fed and, you know, nappy was clean, all that kind of stuff. I would hold her in my arms and I would just look at her and I'd say to her, there's anything you want to tell me or is there anything you want to release? I'm listening. And she would just start crying. Mm. And I guess in the past what I'd done is kind of shush my kids or jig them or try and just feed them to stop them crying. I actually just listened to her and it was always again making sure her needs were met first 
And it was absolutely extraordinary because I, what I began to see is she would cry and she would just look into my eyes and sometimes I would have tears. And then after she'd finished crying, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, her whole body would soften and relax and she would sleep deeply and she wasn't ever sleeping before that. I, at the same time, was seeing an osteopath um, who knew of our story and every time I'd take her back for a treatment, she'd be like, I cannot believe the change in her body. It's like her whole nervous system was kind of coming back online and back into balance. And so I just began to see this baby that became incredibly happy and relaxed and it was like I could begin to see the trauma starting to melt away. And so when I was doing that with her, and again, I always love to stress for parents, this is like, I was holding her. I was holding her close. I just wasn't stopping the crying. I was just listening. And of course, you know, there were other times she'd cry and I'd be like, she's hungry. I need to feed her. But we we began to develop this beautiful communication, I think. And then I began to look at my older kids and think, whoa, I've done a lot of suppressing your feelings over the years. And, you know, all of a sudden I began to really delve into, well, what is our relationship to anger and to tears and frustration and sadness? And I realized, gosh, I've spent most of my life trying to pretend it doesn't exist or just be positive or keep it happy. And I was like, but we all have a right to feel sad and upset and angry. And so then I looked at my bigger kids and I thought, wow, I've got a lot of catching up to do. So instead of trying to make it all okay for them all the time or distract them from feelings, I would just get on the floor with them and go, you're so upset. Tell me all about it. And I just learned to listen well. And the change in my family was incredible because my kids started to feel happy because they weren't carrying this massive backpack of tensions and stresses around. I began to see the trauma start to move with my my little baby at the time. And, and I began to see that my older siblings started fighting less because they were releasing a hold of their tensions. I was able to attune to them more. I started to see the benefits of play and attachment play to help kids with cooperation operation and with um you know with with just connection it it became a massive game changer and it actually also too taught me about how important it is for me to look after my own needs so I can turn up for my kids because when we are sitting there with our three-year-old on the floor who's having a massive meltdown you know it takes patience and and if we're not filled up ourselves it's very hard we become very reactive so then that led me on to realizing gosh I actually have to really take care of my needs it also really helped me also unpack lots more about my own childhood and and my relationship to feelings and emotions and and then it actually, it just changed my life because then I started doing more of this work and and you know it is absolutely grown from there so I feel like it was a divine intervention on some level not only about helping my little one heal but around bringing harmony in my family because I I kept always thinking you know I want to have teenagers who come to me with their problems who share about what's going on who are deeply connected to themselves and have strong yeses and nos and and I think Aware Parenting showed me how that was actually really possible by really focusing on connection and attunement and listening to feelings and emotions and trusting my child's journey. I have so many questions, um, but let's start with that first one that is probably for many parents coming up right now, and that is that element of patience. So mm. whether you have a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 6-year-old, all the way down, Children and their big feelings don't always make sense. No. Sometimes you can think, aha, uh-huh, you're putting that on because you don't want to go to bed. Often the big feelings come out up at the most inappropriate time, yeah. like you're rushing to get out of the house in the morning because you've got to mm-hmm. be at work. 
Mm-hmm. So how do you manage that really present listening when you have things like time restraints or you think your child is being a little bit unreasonable or, you know, yeah. how yeah. do you manage that? It's 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 not easy. Let me just say that. Like I, you know, I'm talking about it. Like, oh, you just do this and it's fine, but it's not easy because we can't control children, and they're not meant to be controlled. They have a, a free will of their own, which makes parenting hard a lot of the times. <laughs> uh, I think the thing is to remember, and I, I use this as a blanket. There is always a reason for behaviour. You know, our job is to always look behind the behaviour. So, you know, if your child won't go to bed and they keep coming out five times, that kind of stuff. You know, perhaps there's a need that's not being met, and that might be that they actually. Just need a bit more closeness to go to bed it might be that their bodies are really wired and they actually can't go to sleep until they move some of the tension in their bodies so they might need a little bit of play and wrestling to release some stresses or they might need a a beautiful limit so they can have a big cry if something's being there for them so then they can relax so I always come back to we have to look behind the behavior and go there's always a reason why children are behaving the way they want they're behaving Uh, my fundamental belief is this children want to be connected to us and they want to be Um, cooperative but when they're not it's usually because there's something going on and so those times when we are rushing out the door we're usually not very present and connected and so particularly when we've got little ones they're like "Ah, I can't really feel you anywhere in this picture mum or dad and this feels really stressful and that's making me feel stressed and I'm going to let you know how I feel about that and so you know I often come back to the more maintenance we can do with our kids around connection, um, using play to create cooperation and actually tuning into our kids, the less likely we are to have those meltdowns five minutes before we have to get to kinder or school or that kind of stuff. So I think it's really important to remember we live in a pretty stressed environment these days and we've got many balls in the air. And even though we're with our kids a lot, we're often not actually present with them. And we often are hurrying them along or trying to band-aid stuff in Instead of actually sometimes dropping down and going, oh, mate, you, your socks just feel wrong, don't they? Like, yeah. <laughs> How did you like, know? It's always Tell the me socks. more, yeah. <laughs> and it's here's the thing, it's often not about the socks. And as, as parents know, it's not about... You know, it's not about the blue cup or the red cup. It's not about that their sister has more ice cream. There's usually a whole lot of other things that have contributed to that, and that is the tipping point. So not knowing what to wear in the morning or the socks feel sticky or, you know, I didn't want my toes cut that way is usually a culmination of a whole lot of other stresses that have been going on. And so sometimes when we can slow down and have a little bit of connection beforehand, we can meet some of those feelings before it has to escalate into the tipping point. Now, we can't always catch that, right, because there's not a perfect, you know, parent that's always just like, yes, tell me how you feel every second of the day. There's times where it's going to be really tricky. And if we didn't have time pressures, I think in that moment when we're having to get out the door and our four-year-old's losing it, we would just stop and get down on the ground and go, oh, you're having a hard time. Tell me about it. And really trust that those feelings that need to come out, you know, once they do get expressed, our kids find their way back into balance and then they usually are willing to cooperate. But because we, I think, live in stress times you know and we're often hurrying one thing to the other it makes it really really tricky and so you know it's I always come back to okay well how can we help our kids feel as balanced as possible and and that is sometimes creating space for their big feelings to come out it's sometimes using play for connection and to fill up their cup so then they are more willing to cooperate you know there's a few kind of maintenance things that we can do so that we're not having to deal with that explosion or hurricane when we need to be somewhere 
And you're not talking necessarily about finding solutions to their problems, are you? Because that is one of my biggest challenges, I think, as a yeah. parent, that bless them, they're still so young that they think I'm, I'm like a living, breathing Google that can yes. answer even the smallest question to a massive yes. scientific one to managing yes. whatever emotional angst they have at that time. And I'm just not that smart. No. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, actually, you do a disservice to them if we come in and fix our kids' problems. So I often talk about, okay, so when we see a child upset, you know, we can kind of go through a bit of a list of three things as to the why. So the first thing might be there's a need not being met, which means they might need help putting their shoes on or they're really hungry or perhaps they're tired or there's something that's frustrating them. And when we meet that need, then they usually come back into balance and they're happy to move on. You you know, the second thing that can sometimes be really um, upsetting for kids is they need actually more information. Some children really need to go, I need to know what's happening now and then when we go here, what's going to happen and who's going to be there. And and sometimes their anxieties or their, their tensions in their bodies are connected to that they need more information and more understanding or perhaps there's a loud noise and they freak out and, and they need to know that was just the garbage truck outside. And for some kids, information is super, super powerful than helping them feel safe in their bodies. But the third thing and the one that I probably see the most is that all kids have a build-up of stress and tension in their little bodies and that's because we pretty much tell them what to do all the time. <laughs> we're like, get up, have your breakfast, go and put your shoes away, get in the car, we're going to do this. Like, you know, as one of my beautiful little uh, friend's client, uh, sorry, client of mine, her daughter, is. she's like, you know, she comes home from school and she's like, I've been taking orders all day. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, you have, right? And and here's the thing, those little stresses, you know, when they get to kinder and someone knocks over their, their beautiful thing that they build or a child won't play with them and then one of the teachers grumbles in a certain way, they're all little stresses that kids carry in their bodies and it applies to teenagers as well. You know, they get to school and someone looks at them funny and they think, oh, my God, do they think I've said something bad about them? Or And, and we carry all these stresses and tensions and then they come home to the place that is the safest, which is hopefully family, and when there is one little more thing, you know, where they feel powerless or tips them over the edge, then all those big feelings come pouring out. And we, and we will know it's usually connected to something to the past because their reaction to being given the blue cup is so over the top, you know, that it's not, it's, it, we see it can't purely be about this cup, there's something <laughs> more. And so I think it's really good to remind ourselves as parents is when our kids are having big, big reactions, it's usually connected to other stuff. And so that's why if we try to fix and go, well, I'll give you the pink cup instead and then they throw the pink cup because that's not right, well, I'll give you the yellow one and we keep trying to fix it, we're actually not going to get the result we want. What we are better off doing is getting calm and getting down on the ground and going, oh, mate, it's really hard. I see you wanted the blue cup and I didn't give it to you and tell me all about it. And our natural inbuilt healing mechanism is that when we get to express ourselves, so we, we have that anger first and then it might move into tears, then we finally kind of find our way back into balance and I'm sure many parents see this there's this huge hurricane that happens they get angry and and then they have a big cry and then they just look at you and go what's for dinner right and it's <laughs> like it's gone yes. and 
And that's where we see a child has actually moved those big backpack of feelings and they've come back into balance in that way. So even if we come in and try and do the fixes, well, I'll try and make this and try and make that, often we're band-aiding stuff that's actually sitting underneath. And and therefore we're not actually giving our children the opportunity to express how they really feel, to unpack those big feelings, to come back into balance. And when kids have got a whole lot of big feelings on board, their ability to cooperate is lessened. You know, And so when we're telling them to pick up their shoes or put the laundry away or take the dog for a walk or whatever it is that we're doing and there's real pushback, then you can pretty much presume there's probably something in the way. I have this theory about parenting or being a parent, and that is that so much of what we want to teach our children, it's often things we need to learn ourselves. So I'm wondering how much of this aware parenting style have you taken on in your own sort of experience? Oh, it's it's 100% this is what it is. I, I often have a saying, children can't be what they can't see. And so we expect higher emotional intelligence from our children than what we often display always. And I see this in parenting. I've seen this in myself and my (laughs) husband. We expect our children, a four-year-old, to walk into the room and go, Mom, I'm very disappointed you've given me that cup because I've had a very hard day at kinder and Jack wouldn't play with me and then the teacher said this thing. Like we, I think we still expect that our kids can come in and say that and yet we don't. We have all these build-up stresses and tensions and then what do we do? We yell at our kids or our partners or take it out on them because our partner packed the dishwasher the wrong way or something, (laughs) right? And so it applies to us as well. I I don't think aware parenting is just about parenting. It's about aware living. And I think it also applies to, as you were talking about listening before, you know, many of us don't listen well. And actually what our children deeply want from us is just to be heard. And so when they are upset, they don't want us to come in with the fixes as to, we'll just do this and just do that and make it better. They actually just want us to listen. Uh, they, they don't want us to judge while they're sharing what's going on. And they also don't want us to freak out as well. Like they're the key parts of learning to listen well is to be centered and anchored. Now that also applies to our partners. It applies to our work colleagues. It applies to listening to our own parents. I think that what it has taught me more than anything is learning to listen well and is always actually learning to tune into my own feelings and going, well, what am I making this mean about myself and what's my reaction? Because if my little one is having, you know, a massive release around something and I'm getting really fired up and angry and all that kind of stuff, well, then there's something going on for me in here. And it's my job to take that somewhere to unpack, to feel, so I don't project that onto the people that I love. So I think it is, it, it, it's across the board. It's not just how we we see our kids and how we respond to our kids but it's about having deep compassion for ourselves it's about having compassion for other humans I think it's so much bigger than just how we respond to kids the hardest part of that to me is um, when you have those uncomfortable emotions so things that we might have done to with our kids or that you said that you did with your children before you you knew about aware parenting like distraction or you know, trying to make them happy. I can definitely see that when uncomfortable feelings come up from me, the best thing I can do for myself is online shopping. Because <laughs> I, it's, But obviously that is not something that I can maintain, nor is it healthy. So I'm wondering, what do you do? How do you move on those or process those feelings when you're aware that you're feeling mm-hmm. them? 
I mean, you've brought up such a brilliant point there is that I think as a culture what we've learned to do and, and the narrative that we've learned over the years is that when you feel something uncomfortable, distract yourself. So I talk about that we do three things with feelings. We can move into repression, aggression or expression, right? So expression is obviously you say, God, I'm feeling really angry, I'm feeling really stressed, I need to go for a walk, I'm going to do some yoga, I'm going to call a friend, I'm going to put on some loud music and do angry rage dancing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like whatever it is that we need to do to move our feelings. That's the healthy way to do it. And here's the thing, our kids are always watching. So if we don't model healthy ways to move our feelings, then they're going to watch what we do. So as you talked about, online shopping, wonderful, expensive, <laughs> but, you know, it's what we would look at to repress our feelings. And so people do that with ice cream or overeating or drinking too much wine or sitting on Instagram for four hours or whatever, or being busy at work, whatever we do to not feel, we move into that repression mechanism. And then again, we we are often numbing our feelings, but they're still there. And then the other option that we see a lot of in our culture too, is it moves into aggression so that when we feel powerless, when we feel like someone's making fun of us, when we feel out of control, we turn that around then to project it onto others. And that looks like anger, it looks like bullying, it looks like violence, you know. And and we unfortunately do see that a lot in families. We see it in, in life, in the workplace, you know, when we when it's not safe to feel what we're feeling. And and I really, you know, have a lot of empathy for men because I think I see men sit in this category more than women. And they were given the message when they were little, it's not okay to be upset and don't be vulnerable and don't be weak. And so what are they going to do with those feelings well they're going to hold on to them and then whenever something gets triggered then it's going to be lashed out somewhere so you know we I think we all learn these techniques and they're not wrong they, they protect us you know they're keeping us safe because we're constantly tuning in is it okay for me to express these feelings here maybe not so I need to do something with them and I think the challenge as an adult is to learn healthier ways to express our feelings which is mindfulness or meditation or yoga or like you know angry rage dancing or it's <laughs> speaking to a friend or it's crying it's just welcoming our feelings because the reality is we just have to feel it for like seven or eight minutes and then let it go but we spend so much time avoiding it and running from it and then it builds and builds and builds and then it often comes out in ways that are not healthy and are not helpful and, and in ways that we don't want to respond to our kids. I know that parents don't feel good yelling. I know that nobody wants to do that, but we often haven't been taught healthy ways to feel our feelings and then we're expecting our children to do it, right, and we're not modelling it and I think that's the key piece here is you know, what do we want our kids to be in the world? Well, are you being that? Are you living that? Do you show your kids about taking risks and making mistakes and that it's okay and you can be compassionate? Do you express, I feel really, really sad. I'm going to go call a friend because I feel better when I talk to someone. Like what do we model to our kids around moving our feelings and emotions in healthy ways? Such an amazing way to look at the world and parenting in particular. Lael, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. That's Lael Stone. She's a parenting educator and she also has a website with a whole host of things that she does. If you'd like to check out more, there'll be links in this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes. Plus, we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.